Back yeah. When, when you're good. Well, don't go quite yet. Yeah. No. I'm, yeah. Good morning. Good to have you here at Southfield today. I am joined by uh, Buh Ryan. <laughs> Buh Ryan is here because Buh Ryan is not here. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Do it a lot because he's watching. Okay. And it'll hey, make man. him very, very, very tense. Come on up a little bit. Good to see you this morning. And uh, you're here because Brian's not here. Yeah. Why is Brian not here? They had a baby. They had a baby. So uh, Friday evening, Friday early evening, uh, Riley 
went to the doctor. Doctor said, you got high blood pressure. We want to get this rolling. I've never quite understood how inducing labor is good for high blood pressure. Seems like it would make it higher. But anyway, they started and uh, 31, 32 hours later, something like that. Um, this, whoop. The, it's, this, oh, yeah, right you got it. Yeah. So. Okay, so you don't have the little clicky <laughs> on the thing back there, so he's running back to give you the little clicky. And while you're there, Sherry, why don't you just go ahead and show us a picture? Which I know honestly could be stock photo of any newborn you've ever seen, but, uh, but that's our stock photo. So Brian was quick to point out that he's already got curly runny, runner toes. Oh, yeah. And uh, he did cut the umbilical cord right, thank goodness. Uh, they handed me the scissors with Brian, I think it was, and said, go ahead and cut it. And I went, here, literally, no! I'm like, oh. So you, you got to get that right. That could be your first big parenting mistake Ooh. right there, right? Um, seven pounds, nine ounces, which if you know Riley, she's eight pounds, three ounces. So uh, that's a lot of baby. Hence the long, long time getting here, 20 inches long, and his name... Yeah, I know it's going to be a long... I only had two hours sleep. Come on, people. Oh, Emmett James. Emmett James. So, yep. So there you go. Little Emmett is here. And uh, he was due on December 18th. So unlike Brian, right on time. Right on time. Right on time. Right on time. It's pretty cool. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's fun. We've not had a chance to meet yet, so... I'm sure we will sometime soon, but uh, we're, we weren't supposed to be in the hospital, but we just cheated. So found an open cafeteria and acted like we belonged there. And I mean, security came in and out. Hi, how you doing? How you doing? And finally at five in the morning, we, we were gone. So anyway, um, that was fun. Good time, good time. So other stuff is going on around here. What's yeah, going on, stuff Bob, is Ryan? still going on. Yeah, give um, me one of these. I need a, yeah, just, yeah. I feel, I feel a little lost without it. So, okay, yeah. we're, we're still not clicking, we're still not Sherry. Clicking. I wonder, maybe I put the batteries back in wrong. So tell us about Christmas. Yeah, so Christmas is on a Sunday. Is it year. really? It is. Did you know that? Is that like next Sunday? It is. Is next Sunday. Oh my word! How did I that got happen? some gifts to buy? Oh boy! Uh oh. Um, yeah. So it's 11 a.m. Sunday morning, but also instead of doing a Christmas Eve service at night, are you okay? No, it's, I think it's broken forever. It's gonna uh -oh. be a long morning. That is not good. I'm gonna be saying click a lot. Mm. I, I don't know. Here, Ryan. I would never. Brian would. I'd hit somebody right here, and there'd be a lawsuit and all this nastiness. So we don't. We don't want to do that. See what you can do. Heal it. Boom. So Christmas right. Eve, um, 11 a.m., and then Christmas Day, 11 a.m. as well. And and Christmas Eve, there's something special about Christmas Eve that's not having Christmas Day. Do you remember what it is? Childcare. Yeah. Yes. Good oh, you're, I'm having I'm, you up here more oh, often. Yeah. Brian makes stuff up. I mean, he just woo. You know, so accuracy. I like that. There you go, childcare. So if you need childcare, if you need childcare, that's happening Christmas Eve, yeah, not Christmas yeah. Day. Got some groups coming this winter. What's that all about? Yeah, so we're doing it like we did last year with Rooted. There's another church-wide um, study, and it's called Going Deeper. Um, so we're gonna have groups um, just like we did with Rooted with that. So signups, are the signups open? There actually are already. Sign you can go open. on, and, and not all the groups we're gonna have are up there, mm -hmm. but a bunch of the groups we're gonna have are up there. Mm -hmm. So, and some people have already started signing up. And I forget how this works, but basically, I know the, our system is a little goofy that you can't sign up for your book right on the group site. So you gotta, you go to what and then what? I'm sorry. You go to events and. And buy your book, and then go to groups and sign up for your group, right? Yeah, good. Good answer. How are you? You might be tired. Yeah, I, okay, yeah. So that's going on. Um, oh, how about the, the clothing line? Yes, Refuge and Revive clothes. You got to get some. The t-shirts, t-shirts are $20, right? Yeah. And then sweatshirts for Revive are 40 But how much goes to... A green lake I, fund. I, just, I don't know, I don't know the numbers, whatever, but portion the of cost, it. The cost of the t-shirt gets taken care of, the rest goes to Green yep. Lake. Yep. So, oh, yep. goes to Green Lake students green lake, going on the trip. Yes. Yeah. In true Brian and Dennis fashion, we didn't talk about this before. 
Yeah, no, no, not a bit. Not a, you're about to read the whole Bible. Oh. I, you didn't know that, did you? In Greek. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, come back. Be fun. Yeah, really, come back fast. So we're talking about angels this morning. We did Christmas. We got rooted. Oh, uh, they want childcare for mom connection. Talk about that. Yeah, so um, if you're interested in earning a little extra money, um, Mom Connections is Thursday nights, right? So um, you can, <clears throat> oh man, um, you can <laughs> sign up to uh, help with child care for that. That's awesome. You're doing great. You really are. This is not easy, is it? No, this is not I mean, easy. People must look at us and go, come on, yeah. how hard can it be to just stand up there and talk about nothing endlessly? It's, it's not hard. Yeah, I no, mean, it's not easy. It's not so, easy. Yeah. So let's go, go to more serious. We're going we're gonna to do our do our um, Advent reading today. And I love this because it, uh, you know, of all the days to be talking about this, it's called Healing Medicine. Healing Medicine. And, and would you go ahead and read the quote? You don't have to give the guy's name, but read the quote and then mm -hmm. go ahead and read the reading to us. And why don't you come over here sure. and I'll light candles while you're doing that. Today we received a gift which we did not ask for. Let us bestow alms to those who cry out to us and beg. Have you ever been so sick that you found yourself unable to do anything that might help or improve your condition? Mercifully for most of us, these moments are few and far between. Yet even the healthiest among us have had an unwelcome virus take over and wreak havoc on our bodies. A simple sip of water required unthinkable strength, and we were too weak to call out to a caretaker and ask for the medicine that would bring much-needed healing. The sickness simply won control of every part of us, and we were at its mercy. Though we often push it to the side and try to ignore the symptoms, this severe illness is the truest diagnosis of the human condition apart from God. The sickness of sin runs so deep and infects us so thoroughly that we lack the strength to seek healing and wholeness. We may know there is a hospital for our souls, yet we're too weak to check ourselves in. We are weak and weary people, Yet, in the words of Isaiah, even though we cannot cry out to him, the Lord himself comes and finds us, giving us a sign of hope. Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The presence of God with us in Christ is the healing medicine we were too weak to seek out, the gift for which we didn't even know we could ask. And so, we receive it in our weakness, share it joyfully with others, and believe it to be for our health and the salvation of our souls and bodies. And then the reflective practice. Just as Christ drew near to you in your sin and sickness when you didn't expect it and couldn't ask for it, how can you do the same for others, offering a gift of God's mercy and love in word and deed to those who might least expect it? So what I love about that reflective practice, I mean, it's, it's basically saying that um, part of our responsibility is to live out what the angels did, declaring the birth of Christ. And, and it says, think about the ways that you can, you can share with other people that message. And here's the thing that's cool. You don't even have to leave the room. Literally in the next couple of moments, you get to declare the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because the Bible says every time we take communion... We declare the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection until he comes back. In not even saying a word, in standing and walking to receive communion, you are declaring to the other people in the room, there's a, a God who came to earth to be a man, to die for us. Because the Bible tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I don't know if you've seen a dead person recently, but they can't do an awful lot for themselves. We were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Someone needed to rescue us, and his name is Jesus. And so today, even before you've left the room, by going to communion, you're getting the chance to share that good news with other people. And so, Father God, we recognize that without you, we are nothing. We would not have come to you on our own. We were dead. And, and, the, and the beautiful thing that Scripture tells us 
is that it was in that dead state, in that undesirable state, in that completely sinful state that your son came and died for us. You didn't, you didn't see a glimmer of potential. You didn't see something to say, oh, oh, there, I see something good there. Let's see that grow. You saw, you saw a dead sinner. And you said, my grace, my mercy cannot let that person go. Just cannot let that person go. And I thank you for the way that you extended your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness to us. And now we get the chance to declare it. And we declare it boldly by going to communion this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can go to tables at the front or the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as back by the camera. Let's go to communion. At the end of November, right after, um, right after Thanksgiving, the Monday to Thursday after, um, I've liked through the years when I can to get away to a, a silent retreat down in St. Louis and was able to do that this year. And I, I, I wanted to go in particular because I, I knew this December was going to have some, some busy elements to it. And I, and I wanted the chance to, knowing that we were moving toward this series on angels, um, wanted the chance to 
really work through the details of the, of the doctrine of what we were looking at. And while I was there, I, it's, it's unusual that, um, you know, I'm praying through and thinking through what I'm going to do. And for those of you that have been around, you know that I don't normally have one of these up here. And uh, I, tend, I tend to go more just a uh, lot, of, lot of practicing and a lot of uh, able, able to speak without a script, so to speak. And, um, and while I was there, I don't know why, but I just kind of get, kept getting this press, pressure, I believe, from God that said, you really want to write this down. And I was like, yeah, but that's not how I do this. And it's like, no, you really want to write this down. And, um, and boy... Last week, uh, after a week of flu, I was able to do two sermons. I don't remember a word I said, but it was on paper. And guess what? We're having a similar out-of-body experience this morning because uh, I have about an hour and a half worth of sleep in me and a lot of just fun emotion going all over the place. But a real, a, a real big piece of, of why I wanted to do this this way is because we, we're, we're talking about a, a topic that I think we could probably spend another 10 weeks on, to be honest. There's so much detail, so many mentions in the Word of God of angels. And, um, and I really just wanted to make sure to cover all, all the details we possibly could in, in a short time. So, and, and for that matter, I mean, you think about it. We've only talked about the good angels. You know, there's, there's, all, there's all the bad angels as well. And we've only focused on the good angels, the angels that didn't rebel, the angels that uh, exist to do God's bidding, and we kept our focus there during this, there, during this Advent. But um, by now, you know, we've talked about this enough that you're familiar with the fact that the word angel simply means messenger. That's all an, an angel, is just a messenger of God. Whether you're using the Hebrew word malik or the Greek word angelos, it's the same meaning, messenger. Their name says it all. I, I don't know. Do you have a name that says it all? What, whatever your name means, does it describe who you are and what you do? The word angelos describes who they are and what they do. They, they exist as subservient messengers of the Most High God. They're, they're, they're part of His delivery system, if I can put it crudely. That's, that's what angels do. They don't act on their own will. They don't act on their own desires. They exist to, as Jesus said of himself, do the will of him who sent them. They're, they're, they exist just to do God's will. They don't work on their own initiative. They don't come up with a good idea. Hey, I need to go talk to so-and-so. No, they're servants, servants of the Most High God. There, there's another term for them as well in the Word of God that we saw, and that's the word minister. Hebrews 1.14 refers to them as, as beings that are ministers to those who will inherit salvation. And if you haven't figured that out, we're the ones that inherit salvation. So, so it says literally that the angels exist to minister to us. The Greek word commonly used for servant or serving is the one that we, we use as deacon, diakonos. But instead, he uses liturgikos here. And this word is only used one time in the New Testament. In, when you hear that word, liturgikos, you can hear the word liturgy in there. You can hear the word liturgical embedded in there. There's a sense in which uh, angels are not just simply servants, but they're engaged in holy service. Not that all service is not holy, but this word means holy service. They extend holy service to those who will inherit salvation. It's a word that's used one time in the New Testament. That's referred to as a hapex legomena. And when one of those pops up, you pay attention. When you only hear a word one time, what's going on here? God wanted to use a word that was unique and special to describe the ministry of angels. I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing this morning. We've gone through two weeks of this. You can go back, watch online, uh, listen online, listen on our website. Today, I really want to move to the core of the whole series, kind of the reason I started out with this, and that is to talk about myths and misunderstandings about angels. There are a lot of myths and misunderstandings about angels, not only in our world, but among the Christian world as well. And I find myself asking, how did we get here? How did we get to the point that so many Christians have theories about angels that don't look anything like what is found in the Word of God? And I want to, I want to suggest two sources. One is actually, for a lot of us, our religious teaching. We come from religious teaching and religious background 
that does not necessarily reflect what was being said in the Word of God. Uh, it might have been a religious teacher that had an idea or a doctrine of a church that was being taught. But, but if you were to go to the Bible, you don't find what they say in the Bible. And we depend completely on the Bible. The second reason is also religious. It's the New World religion. We have a constant indoctrination of the New World religion going on with us all the time. And that's pagan secularism. Secularism has been preached for decades and it has finally taken hold in the American subconscious the way Christianity was for a couple centuries. We naturally think as pagan secularists. That's, that's what's taken hold on the American mindset. Uh, the secularist basically believes that only what is physical is what is real. Only what we can see, only what we can feel only what can be tested and hypothesized and proven is real. Everything else is a fairy tale. Everything else is folklore. And this drip of indoctrination has worked even among Christ followers. Many of us have become hardcore secularists, and we don't even know it. However, a nasty truth remains. Actually, a beautiful truth remains. We're still created in the image and likeness of God. And so we have within us what Blaise Pascal, philosopher of the past, so aptly described as a God-shaped hole or a void within us. Look at his words. I love this. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, it can only be filled by God himself. There's a hole within us, and we try filling it with everything else we possibly can, but only God can fill it. Augustine Hibbo said something very, very similar. You have made us for yourself, O Lords, and our, heart, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Scripture itself in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that God has placed eternity in the human heart. So here's the beauty no matter how much our secular society tries to shove its mythology down our throats, a void continues to cry out. Even though they may deny the spiritual and say, stop believing in that, we still sense it inside. Unless we repress it or allow our hearts to grow calloused, we still sense that something is missing, something unseen, something spiritual, something beyond the physical, despite our secularist indoctrination. By the way, when I speak of secularism, I use the term pagan secularism. And I don't do that simply as a slur. It's not my little way of trying to turn to secularism. It truly is pagan at its core. Secularism, void of spiritual truth, has not eliminated our spiritual nature, our spiritual being. And so we are turning back to actions that are fundamentally pagan in nature. Here we are so advanced, and yet we're growing, we're going back to paganism. Ever-increasing violence, a lust for death, sexuality that looks more animalistic than human, and the worship of the earth and its elements, including most of the modern environmental movement, is paganism at its finest. Further, as spiritual people have been baptized in pagan secularism, we have, as Romans 1 said, traded the truth of God for a lie. People who have been programmed to have a, a fundamental contempt for Christianity still have a sense of a spiritual void. And so they find great solace in, in, and, and even wisdom in everything from Eastern mysticism to Native American traditions. And this has led to what's known as syncretism an attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, and schools of thought. I really think this is part of where a lot of our angel myths and misunderstandings are rooted. You see, truth 
Truth is no longer measured by the Bible. It's measured by personal experience or what you can Google. And the cool part about Google is no matter what your theory, someone will agree with you. You will find validation somewhere out there, no matter how crazy your view. So I'm going to give you an example. And this morning, I mean, this one might, it might sting a little bit, but I got to give you this example. A cardinal sighting is not angelic. When you see a cardinal, it's not angelic. It's not a visit from a dead relative. An owl is not a visitation from someone who has passed on. You may say, how do you know that, Dennis? How do you know? Look up cardinal. Look up owl. Not there. There's nothing that says our relatives come to us in the form of pretty birds or hooting owls. I'll admit to you such moments are comforting. When I see a wren, I think of Kim's mom and dad. They loved wrens. They loved to hear them sing. This is really weird. The final night we moved the stuff out of their house. Very last night. We were never going to go back to that house again. I kid you not. I walked outside and perched on the roof of the house was an owl. There should not have been an owl there. There are no trees in the neighborhood. There are no trees for miles. And there's this owl up there. I pulled others out of the house to prove it. I didn't want to... It's an owl, right? Yeah, yeah. I did not have a moment of thinking, is that Dave or Adrian or an angel? It was an owl. I know where Dave and Adrian are. The Bible tells me. They're in heaven. They're not on the roof. What I saw on the roof was a big bird that hoots and likes Tootsie Pops. <laughs> but it's an owl. And some of you hear what I'm saying this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, um, yeah, I don't know if I believe what he's saying. I, I like believing that cardinals and owls are spiritual sightings, that they're angelic beings or even dead humans. Again, you might be thinking, Dennis, how do you know? I, I just I have to point to the book again. Everything I know is here, here. Anything else is something that we're making up. And I've got to extend a warning to you today. When we stray from the Bible and craft our own spirituality, we open ourselves to real danger. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's talking about false teachers, he says, no wonder that they act the way they do. It's no wonder that they pretend to be with God even though they're against God. Verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, we think Satan, we think horns, pitchfork, red, fire. Ah! If you met Satan today, he'd be the most winsome dude you ever met. He's a fake. He's a liar. He's a fraud. And when we start playing around with crafting our own spirituality, we're opening ourselves to his light, which is no light at all. It's darkness. And we've got to be aware of that and, and very wary of it. Satan and his demons are more than willing to help reinforce falsehood. He disguises himself as an angel of light. We need to be careful not to open our hearts to self-crafted spirituality. When we do, we open ourselves to spiritual darkness. Now further, when humans die, we don't become angels. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that I die and wake up halo wings. Nothing. Nothing at all. Humans die and they remain humans. Humans and angels are unique creatures like dogs and cats. One does not become the other. Angels may be, seem to be very similar to humans, especially when they appear in bodily form, and they do have one strong similarity. They have the ability to choose to obey or rebel. However, for the angels, there is no path to salvation. Look at this passage from 1 Peter. It says, concerning this salvation that we've received... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time he spirit, the, this, it should say, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated 
when he was predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I love this. You know what the Bible's telling us? There's a sense in which angels are rightfully jealous of us. We have something available to us that is not available to them. God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness is available to humans. It is not available to angels. One more part of our transformation, there's no evidence, not even a hint in Scripture, that when we die, we grow wings, or when a bell rings, boom, they appear. No. Here's what we do know. When we die, something far better happens to us than growing wings or becoming angels. Philippians 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This is not the only passage of Scripture that tells us that after death, we're transformed to have a body like Christ's glorified body, the one that was witnessed after his death. When we die, we do not become a lowly angel. That would be a demotion. When we die, we become like Jesus. So we're going to keep debunking some myths. Are you okay? You breathing? All right. Okay, here we go. One of the great myths espoused by several religions, is that we should pray to angels. Michael, the archangel in particular, is a being to which some people believe we should pray. And again, I'd say, prove it here. Prove it here. Don't don't tell me what your spiritual leader, blah, blah, blah. Prove it here. Where in this book does it say that we should pray to an angel? The Bible is our sole final authority of truth. Nowhere in the Bible does it reference praying to angels. This concept of praying to someone other than God, whether it be Mary or a saint or a spiritual being like an angel, is based, in my opinion, on on a faulty notion that we need someone to make some noise for us in heaven. We, We don't have enough weight on our own to get attention. It's an earthly way of thinking. You know, if I wanted to talk to the governor today, the likelihood that he would respond to Dennis Papp is slim. But if I knew someone who knew him, I might have a shot, right? And so we transfer that logic to heaven. I might not be able to get God's attention, but someone who knows him might be able to get for me. Why does this logic break down? The governor is human. God is not. The governor is limited. God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He can do more than walk and chew gum at the same time. He can create gum out of nothing. He can do all things. He can run the universe and be attentive to the sparrow that just hit the window and the hair that just dropped out of my head. He can be attentive to all of that. I don't need a heavy-hitting advocate to talk for me. I can walk into his presence right now and speak. Now, the Bible says I do need one advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I need him as my advocate because his righteousness has been imputed on me. I can talk to God based on Christ's authority. That's why my prayer ends with, in Jesus' name, amen. That's not a, you know, good night, we're out of here. That's saying the only reason I have the authority to speak right now is the name and authority of Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter, five, chapter 1, verse 5 says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only one. No other human, no other heavenly being, only one. We can come to God, and we have the confidence that we have his attention because of Jesus. Look at 1 John chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin. But if you sin, he's basically saying there, but when you sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the payment, the substitute for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. You know, it's beautiful. We're also told in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit prays for us. 
There are those times that you don't know what to pray. And it says the Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So we have Christ serving as our advocate, but we don't need angels to speak on our behalf. When Jesus teaches us to pray, how does he start? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. He addresses the Father, not the saints or the angels or any other being. He says, talk to the Father. He also says, call him Father, and that's significant. If, if we were supposed to call him governor or king, we might believe we need an advocate or an advocacy, advocacy group. But I tell you what, when my kid wants something, and imagine my grandkid, right? <laughs> I listen. Our Father in heaven. He hears the words you say, our Father, my Father in heaven. He hears the words. He hears you. Prayer is personal. Praying to angels is not commanded or commended in the Word of God. Now angels did, we saw, deliver answers to prayer. Like when they delivered answers to prayer to Daniel. But the answer being delivered was from God himself. The angel is just the messenger. We do not pray to the messenger. We pray to the one who answers. Let's keep detonating some myths. So this one, I asked you to ask questions of all of them. This was the number one question. Guardian angels. Talk to me about guardian angels. How does this work? Do we all have a guardian angel? Uh, the Bible is clear on parts and unclear on others. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we saw guardian cherubim guarding the gate of Eden. Part of the role of an angel is to guard. Psalm 91, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Even there, look, at it says he will command his angels, plural. Not angel, angels. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. By the way, do you see what we're doing here? We're looking at the Bible. You got to look at the Bible. I all kinds of great theories we could make up. Some would be way cooler than the Bible, right? But it would, it would be a lie. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Matthew 18, 10, Jesus is talking, says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, one of these little children, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus himself affirms that there are these angels that are serving as guardians of children. I believe it's safe to conclude, based on Scripture and even the direct words of Jesus, that angels, in their ministering role to those who will inherit salvation, Hebrews 1.14, do perform a guarding action on our part. What it cannot conclude with equal certainty is that we all have one specific assigned guardian angel. But we know that they do have a guarding role. Peter, in his rescue in, in Acts chapter 12 is a real-life instance of an angel guarding one of God's people. He's in prison, locked doors, gets a tap on the shoulder, wake up. He affirms it's an angel. The angel says, get dressed, we got to go. They walk by a guard, they walk by another guard. The gate opens, he walks out. It says, the angel disappeared. Peter, verse 11, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people we're expecting. He affirms it. An angel did this. It's interesting that he doesn't say, my guardian angel. He says, an angel of the Lord. He ascribes it to God's protection. It's safe to say that angels have a guarding role. But I think it's a stretch to say that we have one specific guardian angel. Why does it matter? We're still being protected. We're still being protected. And also, we're never to pray to them. They're on a mission from God. They don't take orders from us. So in a moment of danger, it's not, guardian angel, help me. It's God, help me. Give God all the resources at his hands. Give him everything that he needs in order to protect you. Rest in the comfort of God's protection. Now, we addressed praying to angels. What about worshiping them? This practice is expressly forbidden in the Word of God. We are never, ever, ever to worship an angel. It says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. 
Bible is just abundantly clear, outright. Don't worship an angel. I don't know of an active angel worship movement right now, but I promise you one will come around. It just, what goes around comes around and goes around again. And if somebody, even someone you respect, says we should worship angels, you go back to Colossians chapter 2 and say, the Bible says we never worship angels. I find it fascinating that the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, had a whoops moment with an angel. An angel is sent by God revealing to him what was to come. And his response is dramatic. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother, the prophets, and with those who keep the word of this book, worship God. Worship God. Uh, we have a nasty tendency as, a human, as human beings to fall short of worshiping the true object of worship. We, we, we fall short. We, we get enamored with the vehicle rather than the object of true worship. Imagine if we had a, a restaurant in town that was so incredibly phenomenal that you had to eat there every night. It was cheap and it was awesome. It was, it was like the best food you've ever had and it was, it was great. And as you're driving to that restaurant, there's a big red arrow pointing at that restaurant. And after a while, people are so enamored with this, with this restaurant that they start, they start falling short of going to the restaurant and they just come and stare at the arrow. Oh, this arrow is great. They even start licking it. They wonder... <laughs> What's it taste like? They might even take a big bite out of it. You'd think they're mentally insane. This is what we do. We stop short. We worship the arrow pointing at God rather than God himself. He says, worship God. Don't worship the angel. Don't fall short and worship the angel. Worship God. I'm glad even John had a moment of euphoric foolishness and was willing to record it in the word of God. There's probably uh, two other myths that, that we need to look at. Not myths, misunderstandings, questions. Do angels carry us home to heaven? There are many reputable Bible teachers, including two of the three I referenced in this series, that believe that when we die, an angel comes and takes us home to heaven. And it's based on some scriptural passages. Luke chapter 16, verse 22, the poor man, rich man and Lazarus, remember this? The, the poor man dies. It says he's carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried. We also saw in Jude last week that when Moses died, Michael the archangel and, and Satan are actually fighting over the body of Moses. So, you know, there's this part in me that just wants to say with absolute confidence, yes, yes, I believe angels carry us off to heaven. I believe that. But I also have a little bit of a struggle, and here's why. Luke, Luke 16 is a parable. And parables are not to be interpreted for every detail that you see in the parable. You're supposed to go to the main point of the parable. Jesus was not necessarily giving a, a theology of angels when he gave this parable. He was, he was talking about the interaction between the rich man and Lazarus. So that leaves me with some wondering. But, but I, do, I do really wonder. I think only when we die will we know. Well, we know for sure, and I'm not opposed to it. I think it'd be beautiful if angels appeared and took us to heaven. One last myth, maybe this is where we should have started. Some people would believe that angels aren't even real. I said at the beginning of the series that it's interesting that the existence of angels is just assumed in the Word of God. It's not even proven. It's not even proven. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1.16. For by him, by Jesus, were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. When, when he talks about those thrones and dominions, he's talking about angels. He's talking about spiritual beings. Uh, we have many characters in the Bible, including Jesus himself, that affirm the existence of angels. So let me just go ahead and close with some of the questions you had. They're great questions. I really dove in a bit to the guardian angels. And like I said, that was the number one question. And it was asked that same way. You know, it seems like the Bible says they guard us, but do we have a specific one? We do not know if we have a specific one. We might, we might not. But nonetheless, God uses his angels to guard over us. Um, how about this? Uh, Lucifer's a cherub in the Bible. And the question then is, was he in charge of the music in heaven? One of, one of the theories is that you know, 
Satan was in charge of the worship team. And, um, and that his fall from grace involved, in part, the way he went about leading worship, his role in worship. And, and, and as we looked at Ezekiel chapter 28 last week, we saw that, that he's, a, he's a beautiful being. He's a unique being, created, covered with stones, set on the, the mountaintop of God. And, and you're looking at all this, and he's a cherub, and cherubs were involved in worship. So what's going on there? Was he the head of worship and then, and then thrown to the ground? Uh, where, in part where this theory comes from, in Ezekiel chapter 28, you go back and look at the King James, American Standard, the Geneva Bible, several of the older translations, they come to that line almost to the end there. They're going through all these stones that are part of uh, the design of Satan, and then, and it says something to the order of, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And if you look at the letter C and you bop down to Ezekiel 28, 13 there, it says the meaning of the Hebrew phrase here is unclear or it's uncertain. If you look at those other translations, it says the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. And so some of the older translations translated those words timbrels and pipes instead of engravings and settings. And from timbrels and pipes, they derived that there were musical instruments involved, and because of that, he was involved in leading worship in heaven. Having said that, there, there isn't any newer translation at all that interprets it timbrels and pipes. They go along with something that actually looks more like the context where it was about settings and engravings. So... It cannot be declared with certainty that he was in charge of worship in heaven, but he was certainly one of the cherubim, a prime worshiper, and, and everything we read about him, he was, he was adorable, and as in he was, it seemed like he was worthy of adoration, and he thought he was so worthy of admiration that his, and adoration that his pride got the best of him, and he fell. Someone else asked, what's the ongoing role of angels with us today? It seems like angels were more prominent in the time frame of Jesus. Where are they now? Are they still working as messengers of God? Or are they waiting for the return of Jesus? I go back to Hebrews chapter 114, that it says that they are ministering angels sent to serve those, uh, serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That's us. That's part of what's going on. There's no indication in Scripture that their role has changed. In fact, 1 Peter 12, or Acts chapter 12 that we looked at, where Peter is rescued by the angel, that happens after the resurrection and after the coming of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm reminded of this verse as well. Hebrews 13.1 talks about offering hospitality, and verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. They entertain angels without even knowing it. I think to some degree there's an allusion there to, uh, to Abraham when, when, the, when the three men came and he entertained them. But I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, Beware, you never know. You never know who you might be meeting in this particular moment. In Against the Darkness, Graham Cole's book that we talked about, he talks about one of the activities of angels as bridging heaven and earth. I thought that was a really interesting concept. He uses uh, Genesis chapter 28, that picture that Jacob saw of a ladder on earth propped up and at the top is heaven and the angels are ascending and descending. And even Jesus himself uses the term and says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So I just, in, incredibly fascinating beings, and, and I got to say, studying them this particular year has really enriched my excitement about Christmas. Every time we've sung a song lately, and it's got the word angel in it, I just stop and think, my goodness, the, the night sky lit up and the heavenly host sang the glory of God. And we actually look at them now as examples of we have that same responsibility of letting this message known to the world. So next week, we're going to take Christmas, both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, to look at four angelic messages that were sent to the earth that still have great relevance for us today. Oh, Father God in heaven, I'm grateful that you reveal to us things that we could never know apart from your revelation. I'm grateful that uh, we, we get this opportunity to read your word, and as we do, to learn about beings that otherwise we, we might not even have a clue that they exist. 
I'm thankful for the part that angels play in, in your order, in, in, in the order of salvation, in the order of human history, in the order of all of creation. I'm thankful for the, for the angels that give us a picture of what it means to live a life of obedience, to live a life as a messenger, to faithfully declare your message. I pray that as we look at their example, we would follow the best pieces of what they do, that we would be quick to declare the message, the good news, that we would be swift in obeying you. I've got to pray that we would always keep in mind, too, that the angel of angels, Lucifer himself, fell because of pride. Help us always to be aware that pride is knocking at our doors. Keep us humble, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.
Let me, let me end kind of where we started in the, in the message. Um, Christmas time, holidays, seasons like this. Uh, for some of us, it reminds us of people who aren't here anymore. It hurts. It's hard. And we'll look for consolation anywhere we can find it. Even in a bird. We just hurt. We're looking for any form of comfort we can possibly have. Because we miss them. We regret that we didn't have that one more conversation. It wasn't there. It didn't happen. I've told you many times that, you know, 15 years old, 14 years old, my, my best friend at that time was electrocuted. And, uh, and boy, it led, to, it led to a lot of seasons of just hurt. Miss it. And for me, um, one of the greatest forms of consolation and comfort I found was in the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I mean, Paul says this directly. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Hear what Paul says. He doesn't say that you will not grieve, period. Grieving is human when people say, it hurts so much, I don't understand why. Because you love them. It says, don't grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. I love when Paul says that. <laughs> Jesus told me this. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet at him ahead of those who have died. Get this part. Are you, are you ready? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel. There he is again, right? And the trumpet call of God. And first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on this earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says, encourage each other, comfort each other with these words. Find comfort in truth. Not, not in the things we choose to make up. Find comfort in truth. This is the truth. One day we will hear the archangel shout. We're going to hear a trumpet and we're going to know, hey, I read about this in the Bible. Here we go, because it is truth. And so as you lean into whatever faces you this Christmas season, whether it's a continual grief or, or the joy of a baby, make, make sure that you're finding your comfort and your joy, your truest emotion in truth grounded in truth. And so, God, we pray today as we walk away from this place that we will not allow our pain or our joy to distort us from looking at and looking into truth. You are truth. We want to know you better. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we see either Saturday at 11 or Sunday at 11. Enjoy your Christmas week. <laughs>